Hello? Anybody home? Today, I want you to open your mind. I've almost come to the conclusion that the story is so damning that the mass of people can't deal with it. We are in process of developing a whole series of techniques to get people actually to love their servitude. We face a hostile ideology, global in scope, atheistic in character, ruthless in purpose and insidious in method. Well, we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence. To change the minds and the attitudes and the beliefs of the people of the world, and especially the United States, to bring about one world socialist totalitarian government. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the ripping imprint of a boot on the pages of history since the beginning of time. If you can get people to consent to the state of affairs in which they are living, then you have a much more easily controllable society than you would if you were relying wholly on clubs and firing squads and concentration camps. Tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices to be found only in the minds of men. The military-industrial complex not only controls our government, but they control our culture. As you connect the dots between different people, organizations, places, religions, history, suddenly the picture starts to form. If you don't connect the dots, it's just a mass of what's all this about. The kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful to make this life a wonderful adventure. Someone born in the United States is not more special than someone born in Mexico. Someone who is white is not more special than someone who is black. They're just vehicles for the consciousness to experience. Brutes have risen to power, but they lie. They do not fulfill that promise. They never will. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. They do not want your children to be educated. They do not want you to think too much. It was learned that the aliens had been and were then manipulating masses of people through secret societies, witchcraft, magic, the occult, and religion. They reach into our children in music, television, books. Pray on children's innocence. How can I disprove lies that are stamped with an official seal? So if you have the opportunity to stand next to one of these machines, it feels like an altar to an alien god. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. You can deny all the things I've seen, all the things I've discovered, but not for much longer, because too many others know what's happening out there. And no one, no government agency has jurisdiction over the truth. Any state, any entity, any ideology that fails to recognize the worth, the dignity, the rights of man, that state is obsolete. A case to be filed under M for Mankind in the Twilight Zone. It's about time some of you got acquainted with the real hard truth. Freedom is the privilege to be right. Freedom from the disasters of our mistakes. It's the heart that says, I will not acquiesce. Across the gulf of space, intellects, vast and cool and unsympathetic, regarded our planet with envious eyes. 
Each of us, when separated, is always looking for our other half. And the desire and the pursuit of the whole is called love. Heart perception will change everything. I'm your host, Ryan Gable. And you are tuned in to The Secret Teachings Radio on The Fringe FM. If you'd like to contact the show tonight or anytime, you can email us at rdgable at yahoo.com. R-D-G-A-B-L-E at yahoo.com. Find us on social media at facebook.com forward slash the secret teachings. And check out our website at www.thesecretteachings.info where you can find our full show archive all the montages, my books, top news stories, and more at www.thesecretteachings.info. Over the weekend, I was looking at some places to travel. I'm probably not going to be able to fly anywhere anytime soon, and definitely not when there is a vaccine passport. I know that's happening internationally, but it's going to be happening domestically as well. And at the end of uh, this year, 2021, I believe, will also be implemented the Real ID Act in the United States. So you'll have to have the national ID card with the little gold Uden star just to travel domestically as well. But the good news is you can still drive and you can still bike and walk places. And so without checkpoints, I've decided uh, to do a little traveling in the next two months. And I'm going to be traveling a little bit um, outside of uh, my home base here in western New York. I'd I'd like to make this my ex-home base. I do not like New York, but I was looking at some places to travel, and uh, Hope and I were going to take a little road trip, do some camping, and stay at some national parks. Not so much, you know, cities. I'm not a big fan of the cities. But uh, as a lot of you know, I'm from Florida, and I was looking at some places to go in Florida that I'd never have been before. And uh, Hope just got back from Florida. She saw her friend down in Fort Myers, and there's that grocery store down there in Naples uh, that's made a lot of news because the owner doesn't really want people to wear masks, or at least they they don't bother you. They don't come after you for not wearing a mask. They kind of encourage you not to wear a mask. So, uh, and I know a a listener of ours, Joseph Lavelle, also sent me a, uh, an email about that grocery store down there. So I thought, well, I'd like to go to Florida and I'd like to drive down to Florida just because I'm from there. I miss St. Pete beach. It it would be really cool to go to the, uh, to the farm table grocery store down there in Florida. Uh, hope went when she was down there and she said it was, it was very weird, but it was, it was an interesting experience. They had some good food. And I, I thought, well, if I'm down there, initially I thought I'm not going to go any further than St. Pete. I just Southern Florida to me is just, as far as I'm concerned, that part of the state. I like Central Florida. I don't like Southern. I don't like Northern Florida. It's a very, very weird part of the state to me. The closer you get to Miami, I, I just don't care. So I was thinking I'm, I'm cutting it off at St. Pete. Then I thought, well, maybe I'll go to this grocery store down in Naples. And Hope's got a friend that lives down there in Fort Myers. And I thought, okay, great. Uh, let's go down to Fort Myers. And and when I was thinking about that, I started to look up some national parks and I came across the, the, uh, the skunk ape headquarters 
I don't know if any of you have heard of this. There's a skunk ape research center in southern Florida. And uh, it's probably, I don't know, it's a couple of hours south of Tampa, a couple of hours south of St. Petersburg, Florida. Uh, Okopee, Florida, is the place that is located in Skunk Ape Research Center. And I thought that would kind of be fun to go to the Skunk Ape Research uh, headquarters, or they call it the Skunk Ape Research Center. And for those of you who don't know, the Skunk Ape is kind of like the swamp version of the Pacific Northwestern Bigfoot or the very, very cold and snowy regions where they see the Yeti. So you have the Bigfoot, you have the Yeti, you have the Skunk Ape. There's different names for these these elusive creatures. Now, in the past, although we cover pretty much everything here on The Secret Teachings from ancient mystery schools and symbolism to pop conspiracy, parapsychology, which involves the paranormal and unexplainable things, to uh, uh, things like parapolitics. But we also cover cryptozoology, and we've interviewed Linda Godfrey and others about big cats or dogmen, wolfmen, werewolves, big birds, which is one of my favorite stories because these big giant birds that people see which have been seen in places like Utah. They've been seen uh, uh, throughout the, uh, the the central part of the United States and other places. And uh, Linda Godfrey pointed out in one of her recent books, we uh, interviewed her on that book, I Know What I Saw, that some of these big bird sightings might be a result of the Amazon being decimated, uh, f- both deforestation, fires, and you know the movement of... She didn't make this argument, but the movement of cattle to make room for more soy production. And as a result of that, maybe these giant birds in these uninhabited areas had moved north and had had just had migrated. So that's one of my favorite cryptids, particularly because it's not so much a cryptid as it is. It's a real thing. And, And that's the thing about cryptozoology that it's kind of frustrating For me, there are two things that bother me about cryptozoology. One, a lot of cryptozoology is based on fossils. It's based on myth and documented reports. It's not a far-flung, far-fetched science. It's no more far-fetched than trying to find the God particle. It's no more far-fetched than trying to, you know, break down matter to the atomic and subatomic level. It's something that's essentially unseen and you theorize about it. And the other thing that bothers me about cryptozoology is the Bigfoot stuff. I just I I have a hard time with the Bigfoot stories. And I don't know if it's because I've done this for so long and I've just heard all the stories and I've I've heard all the reports and everybody's got a Bigfoot sighting. I've just never really been a big fan of the of the Bigfoot. Uh, and I've only done a number of shows on Bigfoot. And I've always found it strange when I was on Dark Matter Radio before I came over here to the Fringe. I always found it strange I would get these messages from the network and from listeners who would, most of them would enjoy the show, but the network in particular, the show was doing well, but I was asked to do these Bigfoot shows. And I'd always say, like Keith, Keith Rowland was the guy that ran it, uh, Art Bell's producer for decades, 
He said, well, you, you could do these Bigfoot shows. And I said, why would I do a Bigfoot show, Keith? You've got like 10 other shows on the network that talk about Bigfoot five nights a week. Why would I do a Bigfoot show and do just what everybody else does? I want to be unique and different. And, and there was never an issue with that. But I always, I, always, it, I always got irritated by it. Like, I'm tired of Bigfoot. I'm sick and tired of Bigfoot. And even if you are talking about Bigfoot, let's talk about some of the other areas of Bigfoot research, like the fact that there are other names for Bigfoot. Like, you, you know about the Yeti. But not many people know about the skunk ape. Uh, not many people know that Bigfoot, if and whatever Bigfoot is, exists, whatever, Bigfoot is not necessarily a, a singular thing. There's different versions of Bigfoot. So this could speak to Bigfoot being something like a, a true cryptid creature that's been undocumented and, and has not been proven through scientific observation per se, and that it exists in all different types of climates all over the world. Or it's a collective hallucination, and it fits more into the category of shadow people, perhaps, and hat men and smiling men and grinning men, things that people see in, in, in states of sleep paralysis, or they see in other states of partial waking consciousness when they're going to sleep or they're awakening, and they see these figures, these shadow figures. And so maybe Bigfoot is kind of like a shadow figure. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure where my view is on this because I don't have a, a tremendous amount of like time or energy or a lot of interest in the subject. But I was thinking about the Skunk Ape headquarters and I thought at the very least, you know, I, I, I got to go down and check this thing out. So I'm planning to go down to the Skunk Ape headquarters maybe sometime in April, end of April and into the beginning of May. And in thinking about that, I remembered that I had put together a show about a year and a half ago on weird monsters and uh, weird stories out of West Virginia. Some of you might know that I've also lived in West Virginia for some time, and it was mostly when I was in high school, and then I moved back down to Florida for film school before moving to Idaho and then Arizona and then eventually here to uh, one of the worst places on earth, western New York, both for the weather in the winter and for the authoritarian, draconian uh, politics, or the lack of politics and just the authoritarian state of uh, tyrants. But I, I, uh, I lived in West Virginia for a while, and one of the things I learned when I went back to West Virginia, I went to, it's over a year ago, I went to Point Pleasant, where you've got the story, of course, of Mothman, and I've went, I went past, I didn't go to it, but it's like, it's like literally a 20 minute drive from where I went to high school, uh, Grafton, West Virginia, right outside of Morgantown. And then there's the, um, the, uh, what's the other place called? Uh, well, it's, it's just like, it's, it's West or no, no, excuse me. It's Northeast. It's mostly East, but it's a little Northeast of Point Pleasant and it's, it's Braxton County, Flatwoods, West Virginia. And you had the what they call the the Phantom of Flatwoods or Braxy or the Braxton Monster or the Flatwoods Monster or the Green Monster. And the story of the Braxton Monster, which you could argue whether or not it's a cryptid or if it's some kind of alien-like sighting, but it predates Mothman. Uh, Mothman sightings began in the mid-60s. The Grafton Monster, which is north of Point Pleasant and Flatwoods, began in the mid-60s. But the Flatwoods monster, which it was seen on two different occasions, it, 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 was, uh, it was witnessed in the early 50s. 
So those reports go back to the early 50s in West Virginia, and I had put together a show on that, and I started collecting these weird reports, and it's nothing like a big file, but I started collecting these weird reports on things like cattle mutilations and the Bermuda Triangle and the FBI's Bigfoot file they released back in 2019, and there's nothing really interesting in it. It's just the FBI said that they had no record of conducting any type of Bigfoot tests, you know, and there were some there were some Bigfoot tissue and hair samples that were looked at. Sasquatch, of course, is another popular name, and uh, they found that the hair was really from the deer family. But if you don't read the documents the FBI released, you think, oh, FBI releases documents on Bigfoot. They believe in Bigfoot, and it's nothing like that. It's if you read it, it's like the FBI had an investigation, and they found that a lot of the the samples were were, were deer hair. Now, regardless of what you think about Bigfoot in this context, I don't really care about Sasquatch, Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, or any of this stuff to prove it or to disprove it. I'm just looking at it from an outside point of view tonight. And so I've got in front of me a number of different reports and articles and even some handwritten notes I had taken uh, when I did the big West Virginia monster show. And just a number of things that are very weird and very bizarre. Like, for example, in West Virginia, what is considered the state of West Virginia, which, of course, used to be part of Virginia, West Virginia, that general area, apparently was known to Native people, and my family's mostly Native, but I think we're Blackfoot, and I don't think a lot of Blackfoots were in West Virginia uh, or that area, a lot of natives didn't settle there because they believed that the land was cursed. Now, if you know of the video game Fallout, you'll know that the new Fallout game was based in West Virginia, and it gave the creators of the game at Bethesda, the studio, it gave them a lot of creative room to make these monsters because they used Mothman, they used the Flatwoods monster, they used the Grafton monster, and they used a number of other less-known monsters that are kind of like part of the mythos and they use that uh all from west virginia now if you go around the country you can find different states that have their own monster lore but generally like west virginia is very well known for the flatwoods monster the grafton monster and and world famous for mothman the only other place that there are mothman sightings like there are in west virginia are in for some reason chicago there's a lot of Mothman sightings in Chicago. Uh, but nevertheless, West Virginia is a, is a home to these cryptid-like creatures. And what you also find in West Virginia is you'll find a lot of Bigfoot sightings, like a, an unbelievable amount of Bigfoot sightings. So West Virginia is kind of like a hub for cryptid activity. And whether or, that, whether or not that's because of some vortex or portal, people will argue that until the end of time. I'm just looking at the details i'm looking at the stories and the mythos and i want to take you on a journey tonight from those monsters in west virginia all the way to scotland to the infamous lock of the loch ness monster story and we'll look at some other things like the chupacabra tonight as well which is in the news out of the san antonio express a newspaper there We're going to look at all that and more tonight on The Secret Teachings. I implore you to stay with us right here on The Fringe FM. Subscribe to the show. Grab one of my books. All at www.thesecretteachings.info. There's more after this. Don't go anywhere. 
This is KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. The Ides of March is the notorious midpoint of that month associated with the death of Julius Caesar and the settling of debts in ancient Rome. Otherwise, it's a joyous gateway into the spring. To celebrate the coming equinox, The Secret Teachings is offering a one-year subscription to our show archive, montage archive, all of my digital books, and a free physical copy of one of my books with free shipping in the U.S., all for only $50. If you prefer a monthly subscription only to the archives and digital books, it's also available. Either donate $50 one time for the year or establish reoccurring payments through PayPal on our website at thesecretteachings.info or through the PayPal email rdgable at yahoo.com. This offer can be used to extend a current subscription and is good around the world. Your support truly keeps us on air five nights a week supporting both The Secret Teachings and The Fringe FM. My name is Alex Exum, and you're listening to The Fringe FM. So, you love talk radio, then you'll love TalkStreamLive.com. TalkStream Live is always on, 24-7, with the best streaming talk shows. Find your favorite talkers and discover some new ones. It's free, readily available online, or on mobile with any smartphone or tablet. Finding your favorite talk shows all in one place has gotten a whole lot easier. Just go to TalkStreamLive.com. Be sure to download the free apps from Google Play or the iTunes App Store. Have you ever questioned the nature of your reality? Do you question the nature of your reality? Join me, host Jess Rogie of the Rogie Report, as we find out more about the strange reality we live in. Here on the Fringe FM, KTLK Digital Broadcasting. This is Kev Baker of the Kev Baker Show. You can find me at Truth Frequency Radio or on my home website, www.kevbakershow.com. And you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. The truth is out there. And so are we. KTLK. Digital Broadcasting. The Fringe FM. Hello, folks. This is Jordan Maxwell. My website is jordanmaxwellshow.com. And you're listening to The Secret Teachings. Excellent shows. Keep listening. With your host, Ryan Gable. It's March, the month of the spring equinox, Ostara, right here on KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. This is David Icke, and you are listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. It's time you got acquainted with the real hard truth. This is Michael Strange from Troubled Minds. Did you hear that scientists recently discovered radio waves coming from Proxima Centauri? Well, I cannot confirm nor deny we are broadcasting from that neck of the woods. You are listening to KTLK, The Fringe FM. From parapsychology to pop conspiracy, and from parapolitics to health and esoterica, I'm Ryan Gable, host of The Secret Teachings, and I'll bring you all of this and more five nights a week right here on The Fringe FM. By using critical thinking and objectivity as keys to understanding, utilizing, and appreciating the secret teachings of all ages. You can catch the secret teachings Monday through Friday right here on the Fringe FM after Joe Rook and Lighting the Void. This is Grammy-nominated recording artist Johnny Cobb. You're listening to the secret teachings with Ryan Gable. 
So back in 2019, the FBI released its file on Bigfoot. It contained a number of tests on tissue samples and hair. The 22-page file was made public following a Freedom of Information Act request. And although a lot of people have used this file to suggest that the FBI studied and hunted down and investigated Bigfoot in some Fox Mulder X-Files style, the reality is the FBI simply had a file and it didn't indicate anything in you know particular about Bigfoot being real or not real. Uh, all it did was identify some details about the tests, which the main ones just came back as deer hair. It wasn't actual like some kind of Bigfoot hair. It was deer hair. Now, try to tell that to the people who make that, you know, the, the priority of Bigfoot research is to use some kind of official document for proof that Bigfoot exists, when in reality there's no evidence in that Bigfoot file at all that Bigfoot exists. Uh, but people will still use it to prove such things. There have been a number of things, another, a number of reports, a number of stories that have come out over the years that are truly you know, un- unidentified and unexplainable to the point where rather than scientific thinkers and scientific establishments trying to debunk them, they simply ignore them. And you find this whether you're dealing with the Yeti and Bigfoot, Sasquatch, the Skunk Ape, whatever you choose to call that creature, or you're dealing with something like the wolf dog or the dire wolf or the dog man, or you're dealing with something like even the Bermuda Triangle or the Loch Ness Monster or the Chupacabra or the Mothman, for that matter. You, you deal in all these different stories and all these different myths and all these different potential collective manifestations of things that are witnessed in a, in a half-awake, half-asleep state. Grinning man, smiling man, shadow people. Maybe that's what some of these creatures are, but you can't just collectively take all these stories from Dogman to the Braxton Monster, put them into a category, and then bury that category in a box so you don't have to address that there are things that are... I don't like saying they're unexplained by science. They certainly are explainable through science. Science is observation. However, they are not explainable by scientists who refuse to take on the investigation because they are afraid of losing their public or their their private support. They are afraid of losing their jobs. They are afraid of looking crazy. When in fact, the true pseudoscientist is not the cryptozoologist. And there are some nut cryptozoologists. There's no doubt about that. The true crazy person is the scientist who refuses to acknowledge when there has been documented evidence of something that otherwise is unexplainable. And a lot of things we consider unexplainable are explainable with hard evidence, but that evidence is just ignored. It's like when a company says, we have no information that our product causes, you know, harm the reality is they know their product causes harm sometimes they, they know this in some cases they just literally shred the evidence so they don't have it documented and the, it's beyond it's beyond fraud 
But this is how a lot of companies get away with claiming things are safe when they're not really safe. So let's look at some of these some of these stories. You've got different words that describe different things that we as human beings we like to tell the stories, we like to listen to the stories, we like to think about the reality of 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 these types of creatures. We have to really break down what we're looking at before we can understand and go further into, you know, the subject of monsters and cryptids. So we have a couple of different types of 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 words that need to be defined. For example, the word legend. A legend is a traditional story popularly regarded as historical, but it is unauthenticated. So it's considered a historical event, a historical thing, but it's not really documented or authentic by some standard. An urban legend is more like a humorous or horrific story circulated as though it were true. So a legend is something that really is based on something that's true. An urban legend might be loosely based on something that's true, but it's more like a totally fabricated story. Now, what we call tall tales or folktale are stories originating in popular culture and typically passed on by word of mouth. So these are stories that just kind of originate. They might also be based on some legend, and then they're passed on by word of mouth. A folklore is a little different. These are traditional beliefs, customs, and stories of a community passed by generations by word of mouth. And then you have myth, and a myth is a story of early history, of a people or something that explains a natural or social phenomenon. It could also explain supernatural beings and supernatural events, things that are essentially unexplained. Now, I don't care personally, and I don't think it's necessary to take Bigfoot and to take the Loch Ness Monster and the Mothman and Dogman and all these different creatures and define them as being part of some legend or folklore or myth I think what is best to do when addressing these subjects is to acknowledge that they are virtually unexplainable, most of them, that a lot of the sightings are unexplainable, just as much as a number of sightings, perhaps a majority of sightings, are totally the result of people hallucinating, people on drugs, people wanting to see what they want to see, and those are easily dismissed. But the ones that are not easily dismissed, much like the military's project Blue Book, 90% of unidentified flying objects explainable, but 10% are not. And so the conclusion is UFOs don't exist, although 10% are identified as being unidentified. It's the same thing with these types of creatures in cryptozoology. So cryptozoology always gets this, this terrible backlash that it's this pseudoscientific field, but in reality, cryptozoologists simply search for and they study animals whose existence or survival is disputed or unsubstantiated. Now, I'm from Florida, and unless you've been to Florida, and you've been to, like, sunken gardens, or you've you've happened to have one land in your, your yard, or you saw one on the street or something, sometimes they'll just hang out on the street... If you've never seen a flamingo, you would probably think that I'm crazy. You know, if you didn't see them on old ladies' hats and shirts with 
glitter and sparkles and you know beach towels and you didn't see them on the hotel signs, but you just, you didn't really know what a flamingo was. And I told you there was this really tall, like three foot tall, four foot tall bird, and it was totally pink, and it makes a noise that you would not associate with a bird like that, and it, it eats a lot of shrimp. And you know I could explain any kind of bird to you, and I mean there are there are literally I have big books on birds. There are literally thousands and thousands and thousands of birds that are like identifiable but i've never seen one does that mean they don't exist no just because there aren't a number of documented observances of certain creatures doesn't mean they don't exist and even if you can't identify one in nature doesn't mean they're extinct so cryptozoologists basically study the scraps that scientists leave because for one reason or another, they can't identify or they refuse to identify what otherwise is very present in, in nature. We find examples of, of, of monsters and what we call cryptids all around us all the time. Just like UFO reports, a large number of them are totally unsubstantiated. You can never prove them, and they're, they're, not, they're not worth anything. However... There are some that totally are, and that's what cryptozoologists, that's what authors like Linda Godfrey, uh, that's what documentarians who do, you know, there's a lot of documentaries on on uh, Birdman or the Mothman and other cryptid creatures because these are stories that, well, they, I think they need to be told. And that's why I do uh, the secret teachings the way that we've done the show for the last 10 years. So you can't write off every sighting as a hoax, and you can't write it all off as a hoax perpetuated by some, you know, unknowing participant. In, in, in other words, you can't just say every single sighting is the result of people together, gathered together in a conspiracy to, to say they saw something they really didn't see. You know, it, 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 some of these creatures could be spectral phenomena. Some of them could be, and a lot of them are, the ones that are unidentified are really, usually they're mistaken species that we have cataloged. A lot of dogmen are just dogs. You know, a lot of, a lot of uh, deer hair and bear hair is associated with Bigfoot, and it turns out to be bear, or deer, or sometimes even dog. Um, there are theories that these creatures, some of them are other dimensional. Some of them are, 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 are just creatures that have never been discovered before. That's falling more into the line of cryptozoology, those who search and study these kinds of animals. Others suggest that they're more like genetic experiments. Now, I don't believe that these types of creatures are genetic experiments because genetic experiments were not being conducted by humans. Maybe they were by aliens. You know, ancient alien theorists believe that the chupacabra may be an alien pet. You know, stuff like that. And maybe it is an alien pet. I don't know. But a lot of these sightings, they go back hundreds or thousands of years they're part of the tradition, the folklore, the, the, the folk tales, some of them, the legends. They're part of the mythos of individual human societies and cultures and the collective human culture, the, the collective human experience. So these are things that, although because of the access we have to information, on the internet and phones and tablets and things like that, we tend to 
have more information, but we also have more focus on what is considered official and standard. And so what unfortunately happens is we have those who will ignore all the evidence to the contrary because mainstream institutions won't acknowledge it. And then on the other side, and this is where people that listen to this show sometimes get upset with me or don't listen because of this, to be objective, we have to acknowledge that when we're talking about any unexplainable thing, whether it's Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, or it's Birdman, or Mothman, or it's the Grafton Monster, or whatever it is, a lot of these sightings, like UFO sightings, are things that are people fabricate, things that people want to see. A lot of them are induced by hallucinogenic drugs. They're induced by alcohol. There are various explanations for UFO sightings and other unexplainable things, unexplainable sightings, unexplainable uh, events. Now, does that mean that all of them are explainable through these means? No, because if they were, then science, as we call it, science, would acknowledge that all of them are explained. Instead, science mocks the majority and ignores the minority, and it's only a minority that you need to prove that these things exist. Now, what is the reasoning that some people want to prove that these things exist? I think it's human intuition. I think it's the human soul and spirit. We want to learn. We want to understand. We want to know what is going on around us. We want to have an explanation for the unexplained and for the mysterious. And so the Bermuda Triangle, the Devil's Triangle, those things enthrall us. They, they, they excite us. Uh, cattle mutilations, human mutilations, cord out rectums, missing lips, sexual organs, blood drained out of the body. I mean, that's a mystery that scientists refuse to study, though the FBI has their own file on these types of things as well. And I imagine there are other government agencies that have files on these things. It doesn't mean that they've proven something, like with the FBI's Bigfoot, a couple, a Bigfoot file a couple of years ago. It just means they did an analysis. And they did an analysis on a number of samples and a number of reports. That's not all the samples and all the reports. Like, for example, there was, a, there was an article that I kept from the USA Today back in, uh, this doesn't even have the year on it. I think this was like four years ago. The headline is, Yeti or Yogi? Snowman legend linked to bears. And it says, new DNA samples of bones, teeth, skin, and hair of supposed yetis turned out to be from bears. And I, I, I highlighted that in the news article, like I cut this out of the paper. And I remember reading this on air and I thought, where are people getting bones and teeth and skin and hair of the yeti? Well, who are these people that are scouring the woods looking for teeth and hair? And then that must be, oh, that must be a yeti. Like that. See, that's looking for what you want to see. That's seeing what you want to see, believing what you want to believe. However, now maybe these people that have gotten these samples, they're following what they think is a Yeti. They find a Yeti nest and they say, oh, look, there's hair and teeth here. So I guess the Yetis are just shedding their hair and their teeth and their skin and their bones. Their bones are just falling out of their body. 
the point is a lot of these sightings are identifiable with things we already know, things we already understand. Now, the reason that this, this came into my, uh, my field of view tonight, it was on my radar, uh, was because I was thinking about going down to Florida, taking a trip, hoping I were going to take a big trip across the country or something, do some camping, and uh, sometime in April... I'll still try to do radio while I'm gone. I'll probably cut the show back to like an hour and do a couple shows a week. Uh, it'll still be on, you know, the secret teachings on the fringe FM five nights a week, same time, just be a little shorter of a show while I'm on my trip. And we were going to go down to Florida and I thought, you know, I hate anything South of St. Pete, Florida, uh, but I really want to go to that seed to table restaurant in Naples. And I thought why, while we were down there, we could go to the skunk Abe research center. And when I was thinking of that, I just happened to come across a story of the Loch Ness Monster in the news. And it's a story that just really, if you follow the Loch Ness Monster, it's a story that just keeps on giving. Uh, and I actually have more documents. They're more like news articles, but I have more news articles on the Loch Ness Monster than I think I do any other cryptid creature. And... I wanted to take you through a couple of these because there's some new information about the Loch Ness Monster. And, and, I, and I, I understand that some people might think, well, this is a crazy topic, Loch Ness Monster, that's a myth. Well, I don't really think it's a myth. I think that people have seen things. I think those things are unidentifiable. And I think until we can identify them, you can't just classify them in either a trash bin or that must have been the Loch Ness Monster. I don't think that's how science or skepticism works. I think that's how arrogance and egocentrism and I think it's how ignorance works. Whether you're a skeptic or you're a scientist or you consider yourself to be both or you're a believer. I I don't want to be a believer. I don't want to be a skeptic. I don't want to be known as a skeptic who is skeptical because then I'm coming from a place of bias. I don't want to be someone who is uh, you know, considered, I, I, I am, I'm very scientific-minded, and therefore, by association, I don't believe anything unless I can see it with my own eyes, which is not science, because the, the mainstream scientific community is pretty much dominated, even by public interest, in things that are totally on the quantum level that you can't see with your own eyes. How is that any different than looking for cryptid creatures? How is looking for Bigfoot any different than looking for the God particle? It's not. It's the same thing. Oh, we can quantify this and that. Well, yes, and a lot of people can quantify what they've seen about Bigfoot. Or the Yeti, or the Loch Ness Monster, for that matter. Or the Braxton Monster, or Mothman. So there's some new information about the Loch Ness Monster. And uh, I was reading the story, and it reminded me that there have actually been a number of reports over the last couple of years about the Loch Ness Monster. And they all relate and they all revolve around a group of researchers from the University of Otago run by a Dr. Neil Gimmel. And I, I've talked about Neil Gimmel before from the University of Otago in New Zealand. And back in 2019, his team uh, carried out, and I think, that, I think initially it was back in 2018, uh, there was an update in 2019 but in 2018, 2019, his team carried out a series of DNA sampling excursions to the famous lock in Scotland. And their goal back in 2018 was to take 300 samples of water from different points around the lake 
at a different depths. They filtered the organic material and extracted the DNA. And the DNA results were then compared against a database of known species. And so the DNA fragments are coming off of skin, feathers, scales, and, and urine. Now, in 2019, and that report was from the Associated Press in 2018, a year later in 2019, there was a headline that the Loch Ness Monster might be real according to the new scientific study. And so they determined that if, the, if there is a monster and there is something that still exists, there was a monster, something that still exists, they, they, they said it was more like a, probably a giant eel. That's, that's what they suggested initially. Now, there was a secondary article that came out in 2019 having nothing to do with this research team. Uh, it was a couple months before the researchers announced that they, they feel, felt that maybe there was an eel. Uh, or that they've tested all the monster hypotheses and they just didn't pan out. And this article is from The Telegraph, and it suggests in a new study from the University of St. Andrews that the Loch Ness Monster was a mass delusion triggered by the discovery of dinosaurs. And this is an argument that they continue to use, that because people have seen dinosaur bones and we've seen dinosaur movies and the interest in that peaks... That's why there have been, you know, stories of the Loch Ness Monster. But I find that also strange that you haven't had these same kinds of reportings widespread around the world. Why it's still the Loch? Well, I would also think that part of that is because of the significance of the Loch and where people originally saw the monster. That's where people are going to be directing their attention. Are there other explanations? Probably so. So the Loch Ness Monster, although it remains a mystery is thought by some scientists to be a giant eel. And that is essentially the new theory. Now, what's interesting about this is, according to MSN News and uh, a couple of scientific reports, this giant eel theory, which was posited by um, the group of researchers from the University of Otago and from New Zealand, uh, they, they ended up extracting, this was just the other date, February 26, 2021, following up on that 2018-2019 article, they extracted 200 genetic samples at different da- uh, depths over the lock. Now what they found uh, was a list of all the species that lived inside the waters from bacteria to plants and animals. They detected 500 million individual organisms and 3,000 species. Now, what they decided, based on the evidence, was that there was no Loch Ness monster, and that some of the sightings were explainable through what they called expectant attention, which is a fancy way of saying what you expect to see, you will see. What you're looking for, you will probably find. And they tried to explain that the Loch Ness monster was kind of like, you know, this, this eel thing, right? It's like, okay. But then they said two species that they knew were in the lake, that were in the loch, were the seal and the otter. And neither one of them were detected in the 500 million individual organisms, 3,000 species in the test. They found that 20% of the DNA remained unexplained. So based on 20% of the DNA being unexplained and having no evidence otherwise... They say there's no such thing as a Loch Ness Monster. We did the scientific experiment. But then you read the scientific literature that they produced, 
and they have 20% of it is unidentified. It could be anything. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. There's a lot more after this, and just like this right here on The Fringe FM. Stay with us. Subscribe to the show. Access the archive, the montages, and more at www.thesecretteachings.info. This is KTLK Digital Broadcasting, somewhere between the normal and paranormal. A collection of question marks. No reason, no explanation. Just a prolonged nightmare. Right here on The Fringe FM. Do you like The Secret Teachings and Ryan's passionately balanced approach to subjects from food and health to the entertainment industry and the occult? Then check out Ryan's books. Available in PDF and soft cover with free shipping in the United States. For a practical, balanced, and unique look at the food industry, vaccinations, the theories of disease, and geoengineering, grab a copy of Food Philosophy. For a deeper look into artificial intelligence, UFO cults, black goo, and packs made with the devil in the music and entertainment industry, have a look at the technological elixir. Or look for Ryan's masterpiece, Occult Arcana, an encyclopedia of occult knowledge spanning from mythology and science to symbols and sigils, from ritual magic to voodoo, and from comparative religion and psychic abilities to paranormal activity. All three books can be purchased on the website at thesecretteachings.info, where you can read reviews from other authors and radio hosts around the world. Just visit thesecretteachings.info. Hey, Fringe listeners, Dave Cruz here, reminding you that Beyond the Strange airs live Monday evenings at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 10 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on The Fringe FM. BTS is your one-stop shop for the paranormal, the bizarre, and most of all, the strange. Join me and co-host Black Sky Paranormals, Russ Bailey, as we discuss topics such as aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, and much more. Also, we talk with profound guests, authors, researchers from all over the world, and we take your calls live on the air. Go to beyondthestrange.com and learn more about the show, guests, times, free registration for our newsletter, merch, and much more. Again, that's Beyond the Strange, Monday evenings, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern, right here on KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. And as always, stay strange. The truth is out there, and so are we. KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. The Ides of March is the notorious midpoint of that month associated with the death of Julius Caesar and the settling of debts in ancient Rome. Otherwise, it's a joyous gateway into the spring. To celebrate the coming equinox, The Secret Teachings is offering a one-year subscription to our show archive, montage archive, all of my digital books, and a free physical copy of one of my books with free shipping in the U.S., all for only $50. If you prefer a monthly subscription only to the archives and digital books, it's also available. Either donate $50 one time for the year or establish reoccurring payments through PayPal on our website at thesecretteachings.info or through the PayPal email rdgable at yahoo.com. This offer can be used to extend a current subscription and is good around the world. Your support truly keeps us on air five nights a week, supporting both The Secret Teachings and The Fringe FM. Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. 
you'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in paranormal talk entertainment, including the network you're listening to right now. The Paranormal Radio app, free in Google Play and the iOS App Store. Yo, hi there. It's Gigi from Shift Happens. Just stopping by to tell you to stop it. Stop that. Stop that thing that you're doing. And redirect all of your attention right directly back here to the Fringe FM. This is Jess Rogie, host of the Rogie Report, and you're listening to the Fringe FM, KTLK, digital broadcasting. Are you thinking about creating a podcast but don't know where to start? Do you really want to have to learn all this stuff? Individual track processing, enhanced and improved sound quality, edit out those awkward pauses and slips, mix multiple clips and tracks, back volumes, deliver consistent sound, live podcast production, show notes and SEO optimization, episode upload to hosting, live call screening, balance levels allowed to measure broadcast standards, full branding packages, logo design, podcast site, website, show artwork, video and audio production, gotta do video. Or do you just want to get on the mic and get your ideas out there? The Fringe FM team is here to help with all of your podcasting, audio and video production needs. From simple podcast to audio enhancement, our professional production staff will make it easier than ever to create the podcast you desire. The biggest thing is time. A lot of people that podcast don't have time. Time is like a really valuable currency next to cost. It's even more important than money. Why waste your time doing all this stuff? This is what we can do for you. Think about like the hours and the money you're gonna have to put into doing all this by yourself. Doesn't make sense. It's gonna take you months to launch. If we did it for you, we could do it tomorrow. Visit thefringe.fm, join our team, and get jump started on your podcast today. Everything is awesome. <laughs> Everything is cool when you're part of a team. It's March, the month of the spring equinox, Ostara, right here on KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. Thanks again. Um, This is very refreshing, and I look forward to talking with you more soon, Ryan. Hey, this is Anthony Tyler, author of Dive Manual, Empirical Investigations of Mysticism, uh, website divemind.net, and you are listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable, my man. Join me on a journey where getting lost is the only true destination. Where happiness is an illusion. Where the past, present, and future all coexist on the same timeline. Ryan Gable, and this is The Secret Teachings on the Fringe FM. So the Loch Ness Monster is making waves again in the news because a team of researchers from New Zealand, from the University of Otago, have continued to publish their findings of an experiment that goes back to 2018, where they took these DNA samples from the Loch tested them against a genetic database and determined that if there was a monster, as people describe it, it was likely a giant eel. Now, they initially went to find uh, 300 genetic samples. They ended up with 200 genetic samples at different depths all over the lock. 
And what they found with these 200 samples were 500 million individual organisms and 3,000 different species that they categorized from, you know, hair and uh, feathers and different parts of animals that had, you know, scales and urine and things like that. That's what they found in the lock. Now, when they tested it and they got all this information back, they found something else. They found that their genetic experiment wasn't so sound. They found that seals and otters, which are known to frequent and appear at the lock, and by the way, you can see a seal or an otter or any animal, misidentify it, tell someone you saw that animal, and they'd be more likely to believe you because a seal or an otter is a well-accepted creature. You tell somebody that you saw the Loch Ness Monster, they think that you're crazy. But seals and otters, although they're known to appear at the Loch, they weren't detected in the genetic experiment. Now, isn't that interesting? They were not detected. And in fact, 20% of the DNA that was collected remained, quote-unquote, unexplained. Now, that doesn't mean that there was a Loch Ness Monster and it's in the 20% of the DNA. It means that scientists cannot always find absolute answers to the questions that they set out to answer, to the questions that are proposed, like, is there a Loch Ness Monster? Let's do this experiment. Let's find out. My question, I remember vividly asking this on the radio back in 2018, was, if they're going to conduct this experiment, unless they have a sample of the Loch Ness Monster's DNA, running it against a database would do what? If they ran it against a database, they would find that it would come up in the 20% or so. You know, At the time, I didn't say 20%, but they would, it would come up in an unexplained category, which it did. But since they didn't actually have a DNA sample, how can you determine that there is no monster if your conclusion is you've only been able to identify 80% of what's in the lock with the samples you've taken, which is not totally scientifically sound, and you have other creatures that you know live in the lock or around the lock whose DNA did not come back in the genetic test, and 20% of your experiment showed that you had unexplainable DNA. So if anything, the experiment showed that it's not necessarily that the Loch Ness Monster exists. The experiment showed that one... Science is not always sound. Two, scientists make mistakes. Three, there could be a Loch Ness Monster, sure, but there could also be a number of other creatures in the Loch that have never been identified, and they'll be ignored, or rare creatures that would be in the Loch that have never been identified that will be ignored because you're looking to disprove the Loch Ness Monster in the same way that a majority of sightings of the Loch Ness Monster or any cryptid creature can be totally dismissed based on actual scientific analysis and objective observation, cutting out the drugs and the alcohol and things like that, and the, the expectant attention that people give, a fancy wording to just basically seeing what you want to see, there are these weird sightings and things that scientists cannot explain. No DNA samples will help you to explain it, especially... If Loch Ness Monsters and Mothman and Smiling Men and Phantoms and Spectral Phenomenon, especially if these things are not physical manifestations, especially if these things, maybe they have a different type of 
genetic structure than we do, so you can't identify it in a DNA test. There are limits to what scientists can do, but there are no limits to what science can do. And that's why I think science should welcome cryptozoology into the mainstream community. I think science should welcome astrology into the mainstream scientific community. Because if you can't explain things, and there are other fields dedicated, officially and unofficially, to the explanation of the unexplained, why not work together and find a scientific solution to the problem? Instead, ego seems to dominate the scientific community as a whole, and that leads science to be used as a weapon against other belief systems, not as a tool for understanding the unexplained, the mysterious, cryptid creatures, and all the like. Science is used as a weapon to destroy other belief systems rather than a tool to bring them all together. Astronomy and astrology, cryptozoology, and all other forms of science, from archaeology to anthropology, You name it. So 20% of this DNA sampling was found to be unexplained, which I think is hilarious. And the conclusion is still, well, uh, we have a plausible theory. It was probably an eel. But you got 20% of the DNA is unexplained. So how do you know what it is or what it isn't? But then again, that doesn't mean that it's a Loch Ness monster. That means 20% is unidentified. That doesn't mean there's an alien spaceship at the bottom. This is what's wrong with the polarized way of thinking that we that we you know we 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 conduct ourselves in this manner almost every day. We do it with politics, we do it with cryptozoology. We do it with cryptids and unexplainable things. Oh, well, if you don't like red, you must be a uh, liberal. And if you don't like red or blue, you know, you must be a libertarian. If you don't like blue, you must be a conservative. It's like, oh, if you don't believe that there's a Loch Ness Monster, you must be one of these scientists from New Zealand. And it's like, well, if you like these scientists and their experiment, you must be a a skeptic. Skepticism does not mean ignoring everything that you don't want to believe. And believing doesn't mean ignoring everything that other people don't want to believe. Skepticism... And belief should not be part of the scientific process. Scientific processes should be about observable phenomenon and evidence and a separate category like, uh, I don't know, astrology and cryptozoology set aside for things that are unexplainable through the five senses or at least through a couple of senses. Because people are seeing things and they have for hundreds of years. So I want to make that very clear. 20% of the DNA... According to the researchers from New Zealand, and this just came out uh, a handful of days ago, on the 26th of February, 2021, just before the weekend, and they can't identify 20% of what they found. It doesn't mean it's a Loch Ness Monster, though. It just means they couldn't identify it. But what I found really interesting was I found this old article that I had printed from 2019, and this is the name of the article, the headline, Fossil of a real-life Loxus monster found in Antarctica dating back 70 million years, weighed 15 tons, and was the biggest marine reptile to ever live, according at least to scientists. Researchers found a 70 million-year-old 
fossil remains of a massive elasmosaur. It weighed 15 tons and was from the depths of the Antarctica. It was 40 foot long and a member of the reptile family elasmosaurid. The fossil is now one of the most complete ancient reptile fossils ever discovered. They conducted... An analysis of what the creature would look like if it had flesh, if it had muscles and organs, and it looks basically like the Loch Ness Monster. So what does that tell you? When you have scientists that are like, we're going to conduct this study and prove there's no Loch Ness Monster, prove it once and for all, and they conduct a study and they can't prove anything except that science is an absolute, and then a year after they begin their assessment in 2019, There's a giant fossil, 70 million years old, 15 tons, 40 foot long, reptile, family of the elasmosaurid, and this thing basically is the Loch Ness Monster. Uh, It's just not in the Loch, it's just in Antarctica, and probably in other places all over the world. Now, people like our good friend Kev Baker will tell you that things like the Loch Ness Monster may be able to move in and out from the different locks in Scotland and that there are underwater you know, systems that it can move through. Uh, we've talked to Kev Baker about it a number of times, and you know, I've thought about it before. I'm not really trying to prove it. I find it interesting because I like the unexplained. I like the mysterious. That's why I do the secret teachings, and that's why I've done it from the beginning, whether we're talking about ancient temples and structures, ancient man, we're talking about cryptid creatures, or we're talking about the ancient mysteries and symbology, we're talking about parapolitics or parapsychology or pop conspiracy, whatever it might be, I want to understand the underlying mystery of life. And science can actually help us to understand that. And this is what frustrates me. Science is not a tool to dismiss beliefs and to demolish and attack beliefs that you don't like. Science is a tool to bring us together, not to divide people even further. And when people use science in that way, it's it's just, it's disgusting. I I don't like it. I think it's wrong. I'm not not fond of it. I, I don't like how people use science for their own benefit. And, I mean, unfortunately, that's what science is. It's just a tool that people use. It's a word that people use to imply that they're correct, that they're right. And that's not what science is supposed to be about. Science is supposed to be about observation. And when there are things that are unexplained, uh, there are things that cannot be identified, we have to look beyond to other fields that will investigate such things and whether or not you trust the the authorities on those subjects there are things that even if you don't trust the authorities on these other subjects like cryptozoology people like Charles Gould for example doesn't mean that what they've written or what they've documented it doesn't mean that you know people like uh, the lovely Linda Godfrey you know, that she hasn't documented incredible stories in her books. And she doesn't tell you to believe them. It's just interesting. 
This is what people have seen. This is what I've experienced. And when you start to put it all together, you realize it's probably not a big grand conspiracy to create this illusion of all these, you know, whether it's cryptid creatures or Mothman, I guess is kind of a cryptid creature or aliens or demons. People see things. And yes, there's a there's an element, uh, a very large element uh, of truth or reality to the fact that people see what they want to see and it's based on their beliefs. But there are reasons why those beliefs were held in the first place and why people see those things to begin with. You see things during the day, you go to bed, they're in your subconscious, you have dreams about them. They didn't just magically appear. It's because of something you saw during the day, something you thought before bed. I mean, some people use sleep as a form of divination. They ask themselves questions as they're dozing off and they hope that the subconscious and the other realms that they slip into during sleep will help them to answer those questions. I've actually got a copy of Mythical Monsters by Charles Gould. And there was one section that, that was really interesting to me when I read it. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. And I've, ne- I've, ne- I've not read the whole thing, but it's a really beautiful book. It's probably the, the, the nicest uh, book I have on cryptozoology in terms of how it's published. Uh, it's very difficult to read, though, because it's written in that kind of that, that old way of, of, of writing, which is like elegant stuff that we don't see a lot anymore. Uh, but a lot, of these, a lot of these creatures, a lot of these myths are probably based on things that have been seen and witnessed and then they've been distorted and then they become traditions uh, of things that are not identified yet by science. I mean, there are, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're talking about the mammoth. It could be anything. There are things that we would not believe unless we saw the bones, the structures of these creatures. And a lot of things have been shown with, you know, fossils, just like this giant reptilian creature that was found in Antarctica a couple of years ago. 70 million years old, 40 foot long, 15 tons, a member of the reptile family, Elasimosaurid. And that's basically what people have been looking for in the lock in Scotland for years and years and years and years, decades, and they found it in Antarctica. Uh, Mythical monsters are not so mythical when science is used to investigate that you can actually find proof of the things that cryptozoologists and ufologists and others scramble their entire lives to put all the pieces together and they do it through the same scientific method, and yet science ignores it. I, I Really, when you look for Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster or, or some giant bird or the, or the wolfman, you're finding, I'm not talking about the werewolf, I'm talking about like a, a dog man. You're finding creatures and you're finding things that have been identified and witnessed for thousands of years, and yes, might be in the collective unconscious, might be something that we manifest ourselves through uh, uh, thought formation. It may be all of that and more, and in fact, it probably is. But the one thing that we know for sure is that science is a tool, not a weapon. And all the other fields that are associated with it orbit around science, like cryptozoology or astrology, for example, or homeopathy, for that matter, should not be written off and dismissed because they look for things that are really unexplained 
and try to explain them. That is the entire, that's the definition of what scientists should be doing. And besides, how can someone mock a cryptozoologist or an amateur cryptozoologist or someone like myself or someone like you who are interested in these things and yet go about looking for God particles and unidentified, unexplained, unseen things that make up the fabric of our reality? How can the basis of mainstream science be centered on theoretical physics? It's theoretical. There's more evidence for the Yeti than there is for some of the theoretical things that scientists propose in the field of physics. But they've got equations and math. And people have pictures and trail cams. That's what bothers me about the way that we use science as a weapon like this. And it's just, it's wrong. It's really, really wrong. I told you we were going to talk about the chupacabra. Most of you know the chupacabra means goat sucker. And a lot of the the mythos around the chupacabra, they'll tell you goes back to the 90s. Some will argue it goes back much further. The modern version of the chupacabra probably goes back to the 90s. Some suggest that it's, you know, it, it, it comes from watching movies and it comes from watching TV shows. A lot of people associate it with the 1990s because in the 1990s there was the, the, the sci-fi film Species that came out. And there was the, the, the alien-human hybrid uh, Sill that had spines down her back. And this is essentially how the chupacabra is depicted. It's this, this little tiny creature. Some describe it more like a, like, a, like a gnome or something. And it has the, some say it runs on four legs, some say two, some say it goes back and forth. It has these sharp teeth and these spines on its back. And, I mean, granted, yes, maybe it's related to that. But, I mean, you have stories of Chupacabra or you have stories of Loch Ness Monster, Mothman or whatever that go back back much further than you think. Big birds. I mean, Mothman was not Mothman initially in the 60s. Mothman was a big bird because that's what people have seen for centuries. Big birds. They've seen giant birds that cannot be identified. I mean, the albatross is like... Have you ever seen the? It's like fifty foot on that bird. You never seen one today. They're supposedly extinct, but that's a big bird. It was a real bird. It's in my my bird. I have a bunch of bird books because I'm 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 that guy. I, I like birds, and I've got all these bird books. And there's all these birds in there I've never seen, as far as I can tell. Scientists are making it up. I don't know. I got I haven't seen these birds. Hell, I've only seen a, a red cardinal twice, and I lived in West Virginia. I saw a red cardinal in Florida once, and I saw it in West Virginia once. That's like the that's like the state bird of West Virginia. I've only seen the thing twice. Maybe you've seen it a hundred times. I don't know, but I'm saying that there are a lot of birds you never saw. Birds make up, according to scientists, fifty one percent of all the species on this planet. So that that's a lot of birds, and we can't we can't fully study and identify and and, and understand all of them. I mean, hell, crows. Crows have like their own language. They help, they hold funerary rites for dead birds. They remember faces. They reuse and build and reuse tools. Crows have a very, very advanced little society. And we just we walk by them, we hear them, we don't think anything about it. But crows are highly, highly intelligent, highly, highly aware. And for for some people that it's that's bothersome because that. That should not that should not be that's not right. That's too human. 
But see, that's because we look at ourselves as being separate from the world that might be populated with crows or populated with wolf-like man creatures. And we start to define what is a a, a wolf-man. And if we don't find evidence of wolf-man by our description, then wolf-man doesn't exist or the Bigfoot doesn't exist or the Mothman doesn't exist or the Chupacabra doesn't exist. When in reality, if you take into consideration the movies, the TV shows, the legends, which are based on something and all this and the collective unconscious, and you take into consideration the fact that all of us will see what we want to see on a number of occasions, a majority of the time, we see what we want to see, see what we're programmed to see, you still have things that are unexplainable. And why wouldn't there be other types of creatures? Why wouldn't there be giant reptilian creatures in Antarctica? And I'm not talking about the Corey Good stuff. I'm talking about like legitimate, there's a giant fossil, 15 tons, 40 foot long, the Elasmosaurid, basically Loch Ness Monster down in Antarctica. I mean, you find evidence for these types of things all the time, all over the place. They're easily, usually easily explainable. But I don't, I don't want to write things off as being explainable just, just because it's, you know, it's convenient to do so. I, I want to understand them so I can, uh, I can better observe the world around me from, from a point of view that is not corrupted by bias not that bias is necessarily a corrupted thing or a negative thing but i don't want to look at the world from the viewpoint of a scientist in the sense that i'm a skeptic of everything i can't see or from the point of view of a a religious like fanatic where all they can think about is bigfoot if that's you that's fine but i i would like to look at things in a more balanced way i would like to look at things in a way that allows me to to understand that just because scientists found at the lock in Scotland, where the famous monster has been seen, that they found 20% of the DNA they collected was unidentifiable, was unexplainable. But they also found animals that are in the lock that they didn't come up in the DNA test. So that tells you a lot of things about the scientific process that's not so sound. But it doesn't tell you that the Loch Ness Monster exists either. It tells you that there are so many unexplainable things, we just keep looking for them through the scientific process and through other alternative forms of science, which are really just science. I mean, from cryptozoology to astrology to homeopathy. And these things worked to help identify the things that are unexplained in our world. And if we don't have those people that research those things and study those things, we lose so much because there are so many that refuse to accept that there are things beyond eyesight or hearing or touching or smelling or tasting. There's a lot more. In fact, the most of our world are things that we can't see, taste, touch, smell, or hear. So the chupacabra, which we'll talk about when we come back from break in a moment, the chupacabra is the centerpiece of a story out of the San Antonio Express News from the 24th of February, 2021. A lot of people say the chupacabra is like a vampire. It's like an evil fairy-type creature. It's like this little gnome Some say, well, it goes back to the 90s and it's related to that movie Species where the hybrid creature has these spines, spikes down her back. Uh, But in reality, the Chupacabra goes back much, much further than the 90s. And uh, other creatures like the Chupacabra are talked about in cultures and traditions and, and stories and myths all over the world. 
They, they come from somewhere. That doesn't mean that they're real. That that creature exactly as described is real. It takes on a life of its own after a while and it becomes real. But the original sightings were based on something. And that's the unexplained. That's the mystery that I want to understand. That's why I do this show. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings on the Fringe FM. There's more after this. Don't go anywhere. Stay with us. Chupacabra, Mothman, and more in the final segment. You could listen to this. And again, you know, people say David has no evidence. David has no evidence, but... I hate this channel. Or you could listen to The Secret Teachings with myself, Ryan Gable, five nights a week on The Fringe FM. And join us to explore the outer limits of history, symbolism, parapolitics, and more. We'll explore a little of everything, but don't take my word for it. I'm kind of like you. I'm the last of a dying breed, a generalist. That's thesecretteachings.info and The Fringe FM. If you're interested in all things that include the occult, from witchcraft to voodoo, and from mythology to alchemy, then why not check out the book Occult Arcana, complete with hundreds of beautiful images. Maybe you want to look at technology, black goo, UFOs, and demonic pacts made in the entertainment industry. Check out the technological elixir, black goo, transhumanism, and invoking AI. Or if that's not enough and you want a practical look at food, lifestyles and ingredients, even those in your pet food, with free solutions to better health, then check out Food Philosophy. All three of these books are available in softcover or PDF at www.thesecretteachings.info. That's where you can read reviews, see pictures, and even order yours today. It not only supports the secret teachings and Fringe FM, but most importantly, it supports you. The Ides of March is the notorious midpoint of that month associated with the death of Julius Caesar and the settling of debts in ancient Rome. Otherwise, it's a joyous gateway into the spring. To celebrate the coming equinox, The Secret Teachings is offering a one-year subscription to our show archive, montage archive, all of my digital books, and a free physical copy of one of my books with free shipping in the U.S., all for only $50. If you prefer a monthly subscription only to the archives and digital books, it's also available. Either donate $50 one time for the year, or establish reoccurring payments through PayPal on our website at thesecretteachings.info, or through the PayPal email rdgable at yahoo.com. This offer can be used to extend a current subscription and is good around the world. Your support truly keeps us on air five nights a week, supporting both The Secret Teachings and The Fringe FM. They all say the same thing. They're all like, you know, over the last four years, everything good that happened was because of us. And we would have done more good stuff if it wasn't for those guys. And then they, the Democrats go, oh, we did all the good stuff. <laughs> it's like you're all working for the same guy. It's March, the month of the spring equinox, Ostara, right here on KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. Want more of The Fringe? Check out thefringe.fm for more information on your favorite shows. 
Also, don't forget to check out the Fringe mobile app or the other ways you can tune in through the Paranormal Radio app and talk stream live. Where the normal and paranormal collide, it's the Fringe FM. This is The Secret Teachings. If you'd like to contact the show, email Ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com or find him on Facebook at facebook.com slash thesecretteachings. Howdy, this is Joe Mars, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. I'm Clyde Lewis from Ground Zero Radio, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. Hi, it's David Childress from Ancient Aliens, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. The Chupacabra, the goat sucker. Chupacabra is Spanish for goat sucker. Some people say the Chupacabra is a vampire. It's kind of like a vampire. It sucks the blood, supposedly, out of animals. Other people say the Chupacabra is an alien experiment or some genetic experiment. I think that's too simple of an explanation. I don't really think it holds too much weight in alternative studies. Alternative only to the mainstream, that is, of course. But the San Antonio Zoo thought that it was interesting enough that they've opened up the first ever Chupacabra exhibit at a zoological facility. They did this back in September of 2020. And the Chupacabra is in the news in San Antonio. The San Antonio Express News reported that the Chupacabra lives on in the San Antonio Latino lore, just like our Bigfoot and our Loch Ness Monster which we've talked about quite a bit tonight. The Chupacabra, according to the San Antonio Zoo exhibit, and this is the official narrative of the Chupacabra, stalks most of South and Central America as well as northern Mexico and the southern United States, according to reports of livestock deaths attributed to the creature. South and Central American sightings describe the Chupacabra as a goblin-like humanoid that walks upright on two legs, while sightings in Mexico and the U.S. describe the chupacabra as a canine or dog-like creature that walks on all fours. The chupacabra is often described as a hairless reptilian creature about three foot tall with gray skin or green skin or gray-green skin and spines or quills down its back. And most of the people that identify the chupacabra as an actual body, as an actual piece of evidence, are usually seen coyotes or dogs and most of the sightings are written off as coyotes or dogs with some kind of some kind of genetic deformity severe mange or something to that effect in fact back in i think it was 2018 there was this story in the usa today and some other newspapers about this mysterious wolf-like creature that was shot in montana i remember we uh we talked to linda godfrey about this uh, and they call it like a dire wolf, like that's supposed to be scary. Dire wolf just means like unidentified wolf, mysterious wolf, something that's really un- unidentified. Uh, but this animal was shot and killed on a ranch outside of Denton, Montana. It had long grayish fur, a large head, and an extended snout. And the animal shared many of the same characteristics as a wolf, but its ears were too large, its legs and body too short, its fur uncharacteristic of that common to a wolf. And if you read the reports, people said, oh, it's a dog man. It's a, it's a dire wolf, which it was. It was unidentified. 
and it turned out to just basically be a wolf. Uh, it was just a, a wolf that looked a little different. Uh, I mean, what people think of as the dog man is way different than what they found at this uh, at, at this uh, place where they where the wolf was shot or the the wolf like animal was shot in Montana. And that's really something that when you think about cryptozoology and these mysterious creatures, you have an idea of what a dogman is or a Bigfoot or a Loch Ness Monster. So you look for those things and you can't necessarily find evidence as a scientist so it doesn't exist. So you can't necessarily find evidence as a believer, but you still believe and you start to create and cultivate over decades and over centuries the belief in this thing that turns into a real living creature. But... There are those who neglect, refuse, or just they mock, or they do a combination of these things. Any story that isn't classifiable, you know, just like with modern medicine and, 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 and psychology, if it's not in the DSM-5, it must not be real. You've got giant sores on your body with hairs growing out of them, and they're multicolored, and electricity will zap them, and they'll go away a little bit. And you get these rashes, and it's that's not Morgellons disease. That's delusional parasitosis. That is a fear of parasites. That is not real. It's not in the paperwork. I mean, that's just asinine. Science is not supposed to determine what is reality based on what you believe or based on what evidence there already is. Science is a process of observation. In fact, mythology was the original form of science. It was a, an attempt to understand what was going on in the world around you why there was thunder, why there was lightning, why there were storms, why there was a drought, why there was you know a potential famine. And it was associated with gods and goddesses, but the priestly classes and those who preserved the mysteries and what we call the secret teachings, they understood it on a much deeper level. The common people didn't fully understand it. But a lot of common people did understand it because they designed religions around it. They design practices and beliefs and around the cycles of the sun. Not, not all people worship the sun. Not all people worship the moon. Some worship both. Some worship neither. But this is where our, our, our superstitions and our myths come from. And they can be based on something real. It's not so much that the chicken or the egg came first or the myth or the, or the, the, the original report came first. It, it's like a combination of both. We, we have this idea of what we're seeing of what we're witnessing, and a wolfman, a chupacabra, a, a, a mothman, and then we start to develop this idea that based on what other people have seen, this, is mu- this must be what is real. And now there are like volumes of books written on gray aliens and reptilians and insectoids and Pleiadians, and it's not based on really anything. I mean, you've got the Betty Barney Hill story. You've got Bob Lazar. You've got a, a very small handful of others that have seen things. Travis Walton. And uh, Whitley Strieber, I mean, those are some big names, people that have, they, that have seen things. We interviewed uh, Kathleen, uh, I believe her last name is Martin, Kathleen Martin, who's like the niece of Betty and Barney Hill. We interviewed her about that uh, a couple of years ago. And it's like, those are some of the most well-known reports. And then there are volumes of books written as if they are factual on what is essentially a mythos that has developed around aliens. And then you have people like, yes, Paul Hellyer, who worked for the Canadian government. And you have people uh, who worked for the Israeli Space Agency. Um, but apparently they were working, even though they worked for the Space Agency, they were also 
listening to Laura Eisenhower, who's ta- now I got an email the other day. She's talking about uh, crystal genetic sun DNA. I don't know what the hell crystal genetic sun DNA is. And when I confronted her at a conference and asked her where she got her information about what she called the electric wars, she said she got it off of a website about Ascension, which was run by her friend who had no resources or sources to back up anything she said. It's just all made up. It's fabricated. And then it makes people that are new age or into conspiracies or into cryptozoology look and sound crazy. Like this, this wasn't what this radio was about. It wasn't about selling you hope that QAnon was going to save the day. It's not about selling you hope that the aliens are going to say that it was about weird, spooky mysteries and unexplainable things and listening to the radio traveling through the desert at night. It was about trying to provide a platform for things that were mysterious, things that were and remain to this day unexplained. And I just I see that the entire the entire field of everything that is mysterious, you put anything you want into that category, I don't care, has just become tainted and oversaturated, and it, it, it's, it's just it's polluted. And I, I want to clean all that out because I still want to hear about the dogmen. I still want to hear about UFO abductions. I still want to hear about the Mothman. Not because I'm crazy and delusional, but because I'm tired of... Crazy delusional people telling me I'm wrong because they don't know anything about what I'm talking about. Because they were told and programmed that that's not real because science can't explain it. On the contrary, your scientists have actually proven that there are things that the scientific method can't identify. So therefore, as in the case of the Loch Ness Monster and these researchers from New Zealand, from the University of Otago... If you can't identify it, it doesn't mean it's an alien or a monster, but it's something unexplainable. And there should be allowed, without skepticism and criticism, fields of study like cryptozoology that allow us to investigate those unexplained things like an X-File. You can't explain it. It takes too much time to even begin to investigate it, so we'll put it into a separate file. That's what it basically is. These are unexplainable, mysterious stories. You call them X-Files or whatever it is. But that this is what we're looking at. This is what we're we're trying to understand so that we can hopefully have a better relationship with the world around us by through observation and uh, understanding. We can learn to better connect with the natural environment around us and place ourselves in tune with it rather than finding some way to control it. And I think that's a lot of what modern science does when it comes to these subjects. They want to control it because they can't fully understand it, so they either get rid of it and they commit what essentially is you know, uh, mystery and paranormal and cryptid, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, genocide. They exterminate what they don't like and what they don't understand. They get rid of it, they, they mock it, they make fun of it. And that's why I, I, I still want, I want to preserve the legend. I want to preserve the myth. I want to preserve the mystery. I don't want to destroy it because it scares me because I can't identify it. I, I can't understand, you know, exactly what it is. So I'm, 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 a, I'm afraid of it. I'm scared of it. I'm, I'm, I'm nervous. Ooh, 
I don't understand. I mean, that's a really pathetic and juvenile way of going about scientific research. Science is a, is a tool, not a weapon. So when you look at something like the chupacabra, let's go back to the chupacabra. It's known as the goat sucker. A lot of researchers and a lot of scientists and others will say, no, well, the chupacabra supposedly drinks the blood, right? And maybe it's not so much the chupacabra drinks the blood as it is when you have a, a body, an animal, that dies and rigor mortis sets in, the blood drains to the lowest part of the body where it coagulates, and this gives the carcass a drained appearance, like a gaunt drained appearance, like it's drained of blood. Now, that might sound like a feasible explanation, but the problem with that is, and I don't necessarily think that the chupacabra is what people explain it to be. Same with Wolfman, Dogman, Bigfoot, Yeti, Sasquatch, Skunk Ape, you name it. I think that when you look at cattle mutilations, and I have one of the most recent major reports back in 2019 from NPR, and it was... uh reported out of Oregon, Eastern Oregon, five young purebred bulls mysteriously showed up dead on the ranch, the Sylvie's Valley Ranch, summer of 2019, drained of blood and with body parts precisely removed. Now, if you know anything about the cattle mutilation subject or animal mutilation subject, you'll know that they're drained of blood, sexual organs, body parts missing. It's not a satanic cult. Although satanic cults might be responsible, it's not a group of hooligans, although they might be responsible for some. You can't identify every single case with a bunch of hooligans. You can't with a bunch of hoaxers. That's not science. That's not rational. That's not logical. That's dismissive of things you don't understand and are too afraid to even address for that matter. So in cattle mutilations, you know, you have the blood sucked from the body. The blood is removed from the body. Stories of chupacabra are very similar. The blood is removed from the body. Now, when people try to explain that chupacabra drinking the blood of an animal might be explained by rigor mortis and the blood coagulating in the lower part of the body, let me explain something to you. When you look at a cattle mutilation, there ain't no blood in the body. It didn't coagulate. There's no rigor mortis. It's gone. There's no drops on the ground around it. There's no marks on the body that there had been blood removed with a giant knife that used, you know, was used to cut the animal open. Like there sometimes there are little tiny puncture holes and sometimes there isn't and sometimes the organs are gone and the blood's gone and there ain't no other explanation. Sometimes, yeah, animals lay there for weeks at a time. Birds eat the eyes, they eat the lips. But when you have surgical precision used to cut a cut out organs in the body or the eyes, when you have reports of, of, of cellular precision, like cellular cutting, this is, this is not an animal using cellular cutting technology. This is not a satanic cult draining the blood out of a, out of a cow. You know, this is something else. I think it's probably military related. I think a lot of it's military related. I don't think it's because of aliens. I think a lot of it's military-related. I think a lot of the alien abduction stories are military-related. Chris Carter even addressed that in the X-Files. I think a lot of it is military-related. I think a lot of it is probably a, is, it has something to do with private corporations that have big deals with pharmaceutical companies. They have big deals with, with gene companies and with militaries around the world, and that's who conducts the 
the experiments. That's who conducts these, these abductions. Now, on the other hand, are there things that are explained, uh, that are unexplained, rather, that have nothing to do with the military? Probably. Like, I can't think of an exact case, with the exception of Grudge Report 13, where out in White Sands, New Mexico, this military officer said he saw a silver disc come down with a, with a weird arm and pick up one of the soldiers, and they found the soldier later with his rectum cord out. That happened. Whether or not it was a disc and, a, and an arm that came down and grabbed the guy, and even if it were, probably military. They do experiments on their own, right? I mean, hell, small businesses don't necessarily care about their own employees. You think the military is not going to experiment some weird exotic technology on their own soldiers? Of course they are. They drain the blood out of the body. What they're using it for, I don't know. And that's another thing that bothers me. I don't know why something is taking the sexual organs out of, out of steer, out of cattle. I don't know why they're draining the blood out of these animals. I don't know why there are puncture marks on some of the animals. I don't know if rigor mortis explains every single chupacabra attack. It definitely doesn't explain every single cattle mutilation or animal mutilation or human mutilation. I don't know why crops are laid down with no expulsion cavities. You know, or, or crops are laid down with expulsion cavities where the water heats up and blows out the, the, the weakest part of the, the plant. I don't know why the plant keeps growing when it's bent down. I don't know why there's, there's some form of radiation and cameras and you know, batteries and, and helicopters malfunction like they're flying over the Bermuda Triangle when they cross over one of these legitimate crop circles or crop formations. I don't know why they're so intricate. I don't know why there are stories of, of, of wolfmen or dogmen or, or the Braxton monster, or the Grafton monster, or the big bird men, like Mothman was originally reported, or the Yeti, or the Sasquatch, or the Bigfoot, or the Skunk Ape. I don't know about the Loch Ness monster. I don't know about the countless, endless, cultural, societal stories, myths, legends, Folk tales, hoaxes, mistaken species, spectral phenomena, other dimensional creatures, cryptid creatures, things that have never been discovered, genetic experiments, psychological operations. I don't know about any of that. But I do know that it's mysterious and that it's interesting and that in order to better understand the world around me, I would like to study these things. And my goal is to bring some kind of sanity back to these subjects by trying to look at them as objectively as possible. Because just because researchers in New Zealand found that there were 20% of their samples from DNA taken from the lock in Scotland that came back as being unidentified, it doesn't mean that they disproved the Loch Ness Monster any more than they proved it. It doesn't mean that there's a Loch Ness Monster because there's, they can't identify some DNA or that there isn't one because they said, well, we think it's an eel. This, this, understand, this is not science. This is, this is the usage of language and, and, and the authority of the word science to literally cultivate a reality that is more convenient to some people. And understand that skeptics and scientists do the same thing that they criticize other people for doing that is believing on faith. 
Do you know how many people don't believe in Bigfoot and don't believe in the Loch Ness Monster and don't believe in Mothman because they have faith that it doesn't exist? Just as many who believe that it does exist because they want it to be true. And the reality is we should allow the actual scientific method to determine what is real and what is not real. And even so, we can't allow it to fully determine anything because you can take samples of the lock in Scotland and find, we know there are creatures here like the, like the otter, and we didn't find any DNA of the otter. It doesn't mean that the otter doesn't exist anymore. I mean, by that standard, that would mean that visibly identifiable things, because they weren't sampled in a DNA sweep, don't exist. And that's absolutely asinine. That's ludicrous and foolish. That's not science. That's, that's true pseudoscience. Cryptozoology is another branch of science. Astrology is another branch of science. Homeopathy is another branch of medicine. In fact, I was reading this story about a new embalming medical slash mummification text that was found, and it was published from the University of Copenhagen. And it reveals ancient knowledge on herbs, mummification, and embalming that ancient people in Egypt, based on what we've been told, should not have. And that leads us to think, well, it must be aliens. No, it was, it, it's humans. Humans knew how to do those things. Maybe they got them from the gods. Ancient alien theorists believe that the gods came down from heavens and granted and gifted to man the knowledge of mummification. Maybe they did. And I mean that seriously. Maybe they did. I don't know. But what I do know is that what we've been told about our history is not right when I've got the University of Copenhagen showing me an ancient Egyptian manual on how to mummify bodies. And that, for some reason, even though it was reported on the 26th of February, is nowhere in the news. It is the third text found on mummification. It is a complex text, and it describes a very complex understanding of the body and the embalming process. And nobody cares about that because we're still fighting over what color our skin is because of cultural Marxists and eugenicists. We're still worried about germs attacking us. Yet you have all this mystery around you. And there's another thing. All the mystery around you and all the people that say, oh, conspiracy, 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 because they're so obsessed with this 1960s psychological warfare technique that the CIA came up with to discredit anybody looking into the Kennedy assassination beyond the official report of the Warren Commission, where they said to news outlets, use conspiracy theory to discredit people. You're so obsessed with that, yet you literally believe in something that's invisible that you cannot see and that has not been quantified, and that for... Furthermore, the Centers for Disease Control has said we cannot quantify a sample of coronavirus-19. So you tell me how anything that's happening in our world today is justified based on that alone. And all what is that? It's all about the invisible. That, my friends, is the science. The science that is usually wrong. Because it's not science that's wrong. It's not science that's real. It's the scientist who's wrong. Science cannot be wrong, but scientists can and are usually pretty wrong. And just like creatures and monsters develop their own, their own image, and it might be you know, far, far different than what it initially was when it was first witnessed, 
it, it, it develops this this mythos that becomes a lot of times a separate thing than what it initially was, like the Mothman. The Mothman was not a Mothman. The Mothman was a Birdman. It, it was seen at Point Pleasant, West Virginia, back in 1966, 1967, first seen November 15, 1966. It was described as six to seven feet tall, huge round eyes, red glowing eyes, large hands, wings, no defined head, and it made a squealing noise. It's also called the Mason County Bird, seen by Roger and Linda Scarberry and Steve and Mary Millette. And I've actually been to the Mothman Museum there in Point Pleasant. It's pretty cool. If you're ever in Point Pleasant or driving past there, it's right on the border of Ohio. Uh, you definitely want to go check it out. And they've got the original like reports from uh, the Scarberries that you can read. Uh, they've got a lot of a lot of stuff from the movie, of course. But when you read about Mothman, a couple of things come to mind that you realize it's not one. The stories we hear now are different than the original reports because we don't hear about Birdman; we hear about Mothman. The original reports was that it had a large, you know, large hands, large wings, no defined head, though. But now we see Mothman, we anthropomorphize it more, and it has like a, a head on it. Uh, the Mothman's uh, magnet I have here in studio, it, it, it's basically all part of the same body. And it's interesting because, and I've posited this on other shows, in 1964, two years before the Mothman sightings, June, at about 11 p.m., at Riverside Drive, Grafton, West Virginia, near the Tigart River, Robert Cocknell reported to the Grafton Sentinel that he saw, quote, a huge white obstruction, a monster, seven to nine feet tall, very wide, four foot wide, he estimated, white, slick skin, kind of like seal skin. And the monster was basically described as the original Mothman, just without the wings. So I've posited maybe that this is a real creature and that these are male and female versions of it. Usually the female would probably have the wings, the male wouldn't. Now this was seen in Grafton north of Point Pleasant. And what's really fascinating about this is was it was before Mothman and the creature was described, it was not exactly like Mothman, but very similar to Mothman in terms of the head not really having a neck, just being connected to the body, no defined head. It was about the same height as Mothman, just didn't have wings. And this was reported in the Grafton Sentinel June 18th and June 19th. Other reports up and down the Tigert River near Morgantown, West Virginia, were coming in before 1964. In fact, it was reported in 1952, Thomas Stafford in Beckley on September 21st, 1952, saw what he called a white wash tub. This is the Grafton monster. This is before Mothman. And then perhaps one of the most bizarre stories out of West Virginia in the same year, 1952, September 12th, Flatwoods, West Virginia, Braxton County, Kathleen May and Edison and Freddie May and Eugene Lemon and about five to ten boys saw what is described as the Braxton monster or the Flatwoods monster. About 12 feet tall, glowing eyes, metallic, machine-like casing of a suit. And it was also seen in Frametown, West Virginia, a day later in 1952, by George and Edith Stentowski, 
They said it was a little bit shorter. Humanoid, reptilian-like head, bloated body, and a solid mass lower body. You can look up the original. I've got a copy of the original uh, rendering by Kathleen May because I went to Flatwoods, and they got a cool museum there, too, you can go to. And, and that creature was described as something that you've just never seen, you never imagined before. Very, very bizarre creature. And so you take all this into consideration and you wonder, is it science that really is helping to prove these things? Is it cryptozoologists? What is it? There's a lot of things, a lot of people that are doing a lot of different types of research to preserve and to help to maintain interest in these things. And, and I bring you this type of information here on The Secret Teachings because I want to know about the mysterious. I want to know about the unknown. I want to learn about the things that go bump in the night. I want to know about the things that are unexplained. And a lot of those things, we can actually explain them. We can actually identify them. And we can piece them together. I mean, I just read a couple of reports and it's like the Grafton monster is very similar to Mothman and it came a decade before Mothman. We don't ever hear about the Grafton monster. You don't hear about big birds or big birdmen. Sounds crazy. I know it does because we've been conditioned and programmed to accept one reality. And that reality is a reality that is limited, that has a firewall on it. I want to eliminate the firewall and I want to understand the mysteries and explore the unexplained. And that's what we do here on The Secret Teachings. I'm Ryan Gable, and this is The Secret Teachings on the Fringe FM. You can find us five nights a week, Monday through Friday. Our website, www.thesecretteachings.info. rdgable at yahoo.com, facebook.com forward slash The Secret Teachings. Subscribe to the archive, get access to all the books, the montages, and more. Stay safe, stay informed, stay healthy. We'll talk to you on the next broadcast. Time may be up for tonight's broadcast of The Secret Teachings, but don't worry, you can still catch us Monday through Friday right here exclusively on The Fringe FM. You can also subscribe to the show and montage archive while grabbing my books at thesecretteachings.info. To get in contact with us, you can email the show at rdgable at yahoo.com. Stay tuned to KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM.